Hey guys, today's episode was inspired by a podcast that I recently listened to that I want to recommend to you. The podcast is The Ryan Hanley Show. It's the episode with Marcus Sheridan titled A Masterclass in Communication with Marcus Sheridan. I want to give credit where it's due. I've been following Ryan for a long time. Uh, no Marcus had both these guys on my podcast. This podcast, you want to start at the 30-minute mark. It truly is a masterclass on communication. It really spoke to something in me, and I think if you listen to it, you're going to get inspired as well. So strongly recommend checking that out, and uh, that was what kicked off the inspiration for today's podcast. I don't throw darts at a board. I bet on sure things. Read Sun Tzu, The Art of War. Every battle is won before it's ever fought. Think about it. How do we get things done as leaders? We have this gift of being an entrepreneur. And when I think about the magic of that, it is the ability to go from nothing to something, ex nihilo, if you will, giving life, giving breath to a new business, a new idea, a project, a direction, a vision. All of that fundamentally involves the creative act. But at some point, you get to the point where things are up and running, the flywheel is moving, and now we're just tending the shop. We're running day-to-day -day business. And the question becomes, at the early stage, the middle stage, or in the late game, how do we as entrepreneurs get things done? How do we go from idea, concept, or impulse to actually established action? And generally speaking, for most of us, it starts off with the question of how. How do I create a new legal entity? How do I market my company more effectively? How do I find the right team member? The mind is always drawn towards how, even though how is not necessary to understand or to be involved with to actually get things done. And the higher the level of leadership, the greater the scale of the company or the organization, the more obvious this becomes. At scale, the leader clearly is completely divorced from the from 99.9% .9 of the hows and actually involving getting something done. And the further you move up, the more clear you get that the who is the how. It's about people. It's about teamwork. It's about gathering your wits about you as a leader long enough to gain clarity such that you can inspire people around you. This isn't rocket science. It's not a new idea. But nonetheless, the persistent thought and impulse to dabble and indulge in how, as if that is how we actually get things done. It's strong. I get pulled back into it. Nonetheless, today we are going to be talking about 
the key skill set that allows you to move past that, the key skill set that takes the idea of building a team and having world-class team members from an idea, an intellectual concept to something you can actually touch, feel, taste, and get the full benefit from. Now, I don't pretend to be running a 10,000-person organization, but I can say that I've had some real wins and I've had some losses in in my own career in terms of building teams, working with people. I want to share some of those today and I want to start off with just a fundamental perspective of what it looks like to work with other people in various capacities. Some of you listening have read some of Jim Collins' work. He has a handful of books that are considered classics. I read through those early in my career and one concept that stuck with me was the idea of the genius with a thousand helpers. This is to say the person with all of the ideas, with all of the facts, the data points, the processing power that then finds other people to extend themselves and to basically allow them to be the brains, but to have tentacles whereby they vicariously work through other people as their agents, as opposed to assuming that these other people are their own distinct entities with their own ideas and contributions in a more decentralized form of management. So centralized versus decentralized. What I've come to realize in my career is that collaboration is the key. Collaboration is where the magic happens because the reality is there's not a lot that I'm world-class at. There are very few things that I can say, you know what, I think I'm in a small pool of people that can really be making a level of contribution that I'm capable of. For the vast majority, 99.9% of tasks that need to be done, I'm somewhere between terrible and just good. And that ain't good enough for me. When I surround myself with other people like uh, CRISPR Compass, the CTO at Lead Simple, who's able to wade into a problem in a really open-ended way to take large amounts of vague nebulous feedback and convert that into product, that to me is magic. I can wade into those same inputs and what comes out on the other side is borderline incoherent relative to what he is capable of doing in terms of those inputs and outputs around product. When I think about working with Danny Craig and his ability to wade into the numbers, finance, to parse out and tease out insight, to know where to look, how to translate, that is a key skill set in the work that he does day to day. I'm good at it. I've I'm, I'm, got some, some chops there, but that's not my bread and butter. That's not the craft that I'm honing day to day. Same thing with Jeremy Pound. Jeremy's spent 20 plus years steeped in sales. Sales is interesting to me. It's important. I engage with it deeply, but I haven't put in the work, nor do I have the same attention to detail or predilection to distill information in that category, synthesize it, and then present it in a really accessible way. Collaboration is the idea of co-creation. It's two people coming together, brainstorming in an open-ended way and allowing magic to happen. We've all experienced it. And what collaboration is not is telling people to do in a low-level way. Collaboration is not a paint-by-number system of management. Collaboration is management. Collaboration is co-creation, as my good friend Steve Welty likes to call it. 
Collaboration ultimately is a function of aligning with other people's self-interest. And this is something that I'm super clear on. Telling people what to do is more necessary when there is not a fundamental alignment of interest. You got to grip down, tightly control the circumstances. When there's a true and genuine alignment of self-interest, whether it be with team member, whether it be with a coworker, whether it be with a business partner, that is the basis. I want other people's pursuit of their self-interest to benefit me and vice versa. When that condition is met, you know that the stage for collaboration is set. So my question to you is, what would it take to build a powerful team? What would it take for us to be able to get off of the constant and persistent conversation around just finding the right person? Think about that. There's so much conversation and chatter around just finding the right person. If I could just find that person. First off, you know that person. I mean, you, you can walk into any corporation on Main Street and find 100 smart, intelligent people. That doesn't really solve it, Second, because you'd have to have them actually commit to work for you. So really, oftentimes what the impulse is like, I need to find the right person that has a baller skill set that could condescend to actually want to work for me uh, and that would, would accept below market wages. That, my friends, is fantasy. But the real beef that I have with it is the idea that it's taking people as a static asset, not people with a uh, trajectory, not people with a specific velocity in terms of where they're headed in their career, but looking at people as a static asset and saying, I need to plug that person into my company. The reality is we are all on a growth journey. When I look back on the work that I did and the quality of the thought that I engaged in as of a decade ago, it's not something I want to be associated with right now. It would be destructive. It would be bringing me backwards to go back and to take on the mindset and the beliefs and the perspective of that person. However, my fundamental belief about that guy is that he has so much greenfield capacity, so much growth ahead of him, and therefore, I'm really bullish about making investment in that person and their trajectory. And I would venture to wage that almost everybody has a massive amount of growth capacity if it's identified and nurtured and cultivated. Now, that that's not a caveat. That's not meant to be a... Um, Self-help caveat. I'm not encouraging you to hire people with no current skills. That could be an act of self-sabotage as well. But it leads us into this next idea. And the idea is really just kind of exploring what would be the required conditions in order for you to be a magnet for highly qualified, competent, motivated people that are going to take ownership over their role. That is always the question in my mind is what would be the necessary conditions in order to create the circumstance that I want, whether that be the growth of my company, the relationship with uh, people in my personal life, or the people that are working for me, if I understand the conditions that would be necessary in order to get what I want, I've made a quantum leap in at least identifying what I am aiming for. Wanting the outcome, but having a fundamental disinterest and understanding the conditions that would lead to that is fantasy and is not taking responsibility or really at least being serious about your goals. 
Now, we've all already mastered the conditions required to create our current situation. So it's not like we're not capable of significantly augmenting a circumstance. We've all gone from where we started into our career to here. And I'm going to guess that for you, that's, that's some radical significant growth. When we think about and we talk about 10xing your business, that sounds like a somewhat fantastical idea. It's, it's a, a tired beat horse. I get that. But think about this. Think about the last time you 10xed your business. How far back would you need to go in order to have a reference point from which you have 10xed relative to where you're at today? That's an exciting thought. I've gone through this exercise. Strategic Coach brought me through that exercise. And it was really... Uh, it, it was incredibly encouraging for me. So the takeaway for that is that I know I'm capable of augmenting my circumstances in order to produce my current outcomes. What additional augmentation, what additional circumstances would be required in order for me to have the team that I want? Again, effective, capable, responsible individuals. And from that, where am I at today? What would the team members in my organization say right now? That's a convicting question. I know there are some folks that would say, I'm not really sure what the vision is. Or other folks that might say, I'm not sure that I fully buy into the vision. When I think about what has most often been dysfunctional communication-wise in my companies, lack of communication has probably been the most persistent thing. Think about that. It's not bad, broken, or wrong communication. That's just a fundamental absence of communication. Where does that come from? Why is there a why is there tend to be a lack of communication in most businesses? For me, I'd say first and foremost, it is a lack of intentionality, a lack of wanting to do that heavy cognitive work, which is where all the magic happens, which is always where the leader earns his paycheck. And secondarily, committing around distilling an idea, creating a plan, and actually putting it in front of people, that means failure is now possible. I've set a standard and a vision. Am I invested in it enough to put it out there knowing that it could fail? Is it an impulse? Am I doing it to satiate, facilitating a meeting and checking a box and having a vision or having an emotional high and putting pen to paper and having something that is exciting? Or is this sufficiently durable and resilient that I, A, believe in it and that I am committed to standing for it, even knowing that that's going to require some change of me? So the vulnerability to put yourself out there, that would be another hesitation for why there tends to be a dearth of communication. But what I know is that in my own life, I live and breathe and die based on the quality and the frequency of my own vision and belief in the future. If I don't believe that we're headed somewhere, if I don't have optimism about the future, and if I'm not able to bite down on a challenge and a problem that allows me to further that happier, better, brighter future, I got unhappy real quick. And I know that's not specific to me. I know that's not specific to being an entrepreneur. Everybody falls in that bucket in some capacity. So the conditions that lead to having a world-class team, that is a rich well and a rich mine to really dig into and ask yourself, what do those conditions look like? Because I can tell you, it's uh, all, the conditions are a whole heck of a lot more than a comp model and a 
um, a vision statement, and a well-written job description. The idea of efficiency versus effectiveness, I find to be of great value in general, but particularly in this conversation. Efficiency is doing things right. Effectiveness is doing the right things. That's a Peter Drucker quote. For many of us that find ourselves in the situation of looking for a new team member, the goal is to get this person to give us what we want. Meaning, I'm paying you money, you're going to give me performance, and out of the performance, I'm going to get XYZ. I'm going to get paid. I'm going to get growth. I'm going to get uh, a stress-free experience. I know that the way that I have approached business in general, but specifically my relation with my team members, has been fairly transactional at times in the past. This person is simply a means to an end. It's quid pro quo. I pay you money, you give me results. I can tell you how to create conditions in which people want to help. But what I have to say about that is that it has to be a fundamental investment in who they are, not simply what they are capable of doing for you. When people feel like they matter, when people feel like their work matters, when they feel seen, acknowledged, and cared for because you as their leader took the time to build a future for them, people show up in remarkable ways. And when those conditions aren't met, they also act rationally. And the rational response is that this is a transactional relationship. You're not invested in me. I'm not invested in you. This is a way that I get paid. If I can get paid somewhere better, greater amounts, with more satisfaction elsewhere, I'm out. I'm going to bounce. And guys, believe me, I'm 100% a believer in employment being a two-way volitional thing. I'm not into guilt-tripping people with metaphors about this is a family, this is a team. It very much is at will employment, but at the same time, we both have to acknowledge because someone is hearing this and thinking, well, I'm, I'm money motivated and I expect my people to be as, as well. Guys, money motivated is a myth. It's a way to avoid having to care enough and to acknowledge that people's core wants and desires can never be fully met with money. Your team members are offering you their lives, i.e. their time, eight hours plus a day. To think that that's worth X dollars an hour, I don't know about you, but I don't want to have to bribe people to work for me. I don't want the check that I give someone to represent how they rationalize giving up what they really cared about in life and the kind of work that they really wanted to do that was really going to advance uh, their, their view of themselves and the work that they wanted to be engaged in. I want to offer a job and a role and a career and an experience that allows them to have meaning and significance. And that doesn't mean that I'm going to turn my business into the Peace Corps. That doesn't mean that I'm going to have unlimited time off. That doesn't mean that I'm going to contort what I'm doing to look like more like a 501c3. What that does mean is that I'm going to ask myself, what do I want out of my work? And to take the time to be as, maybe not, maybe not as, hey, let, let's be honest here, but to attempt 
to have some level of parity and an interest in what other team members want as well. And to have the courage to not bring company people into the company that don't really want to be here, that are just settling and just doing it for a paycheck. Yeah, that's going to elongate your hiring process. Yes, that's going to take more time to find the right fit. To have the courage to fire people, to let them go, to help promote them to finding a better home when it's clear that they're not fulfilled here, that there is no meaning, that there is not the type of work that is a match for what they want to do with their lives. There is effort, work, discipline, and inconvenience that is required in order to set up the company and the circumstances such that there is real alignment, alignment about doing meaningful work globally, and then on an individual level, making sure that people are in the right seats on the bus. But I know that the greatest results, the, the, the most significant amount of effectiveness and efficiency has come from having those conversations. And it looks so radically different. It's everything from an engineer that is a master of their craft with years of experience doing development that is so committed to honing that craft and is fundamentally not interested in being weighted or burdened with conversations about sales marketing or profit. They want to be allowed to tend the garden of code and to build something great there. For that person, that person needs a specific kind of home. Another team member could be a resilient A player that is a polyglot, multiple skills and multiple areas, uh, gregarious, aggressive, prone towards leadership, but young in their career, not sure what direction to take. That person has a fundamentally different set of needs. Now, I can try and put them into both, put both of them in the same box, but the reality is it's not going to work. And maybe you run out of track for how to make it work for, for some of these folks, but at least staying in the conversation opens up possibility. And that moves us to the main subject of today's podcast. And this is around the idea of listening as the key and fundamental skill set. The most effective relationships involve helping people help themselves. I'm talking about utility and I'm talking about reward and satisfaction. If that's the real agenda, not me telling you what to do, not you telling me what you need, but as jointly exploring through having a conversation and aggressively listening, because the truth always comes out in conversation. In order for me to do what I would need to do to pursue a team member's highest and best use, I would have to be radically committed to listening. I will never forget going through some training with a coach, an executive coach that I worked with and seeing how aggressively committed to listening he was. It blew my mind. This guy has 30 plus years of training. He's heard it all before. I'm expecting and I'm experiencing some savant level responses from him. But what I noticed from this sage master is that he was obsessed with listening and with writing down and not scribbling, but writing down verbatim the things that I was saying. It seemed basic, it seemed rudimentary. I have to admit, there was almost a moment of, of thinking, 
why do you need to write everything I'm down? I'm saying down verbatim. Can't you process, synthesize, read between the lines? What I came to understand is that the root of that practice for him was grounded in the idea that coaching is and leading and managing is not about telling people what to do. It's about finding people that are, want to be cultivated and helping to actually facilitate that cultivation, which means wading into the conversation in their head and that's coming out of their mouth and probing it, questioning it, feeling it out, sussing out what's really going on. So in any given conversation, when you're, if you actually show up enough to have a conversation with a team member, to ask them about their performance, their goals, where they want to head, what's motivating them, what's working, what's not, a lot of words are going to come out. And in those words is the real story. Behind those words is the real story. What gets stated? How is it stated? What is omitted? What is left out? A true master of communication is able and is committed to picking up what is in between the lines, what is in between and behind the words. This idea of not telling people what to do is rooted in the belief that growth comes from insight and insight comes from self-reflection. Insight is not facts, data, information. And the problem isn't that you and I need to read more books. The problem is that we lack moral conviction about the things that actually matter. Insight is that deep, guttural belief that allows you to speak with conviction and passion once you have a shift in your perspective to see something that matters more clearly. Insight is what we are looking for when we're talking with team members. If we're capable of driving insight, that is where the real action is at. Insight is not telling people what to do. And I am so massively guilty at this because I don't know about you guys, but I've got some strong autopilot, tell people what to do game and impulses. I feel good about telling people what to do. I don't think I'm bad at it. I'm not befuddled. I'm not wondering uh, what the answer is. I am very comfortable walking into a meeting, cracking a whip, breaking out a, a whiteboard, diagramming things, bing, bang, boom. I can run my mouth at a very high RPM. But what I know is at the end of that meeting, I have told people what to do and transferred my ideas into their head. I haven't got it in reverse. I didn't get from them what they're thinking. And it's still predicated upon short-term motivation through providing a more heavy-handed direction. By contrast, every single time you and I have had that aha moment that, oh my goodness, wow, I can't believe I didn't see that. Oh, you're right. Or that, that light bulb, eyes open moment where the meeting is over, where you have a realization that terminates the need for further conversation. That's what I'm looking for. I don't want to have to micromanage. I don't want to have to know everything about you, what you know, your circumstance, or how to apply my experience to your circumstance. I'm not that smart. I don't have that much mental capacity and I don't want to work that hard and I don't want to take on that level of responsibility for you, your life, and for your outcomes. What I am willing and interested to do is to engage in things with you, engage in the conversation together 
long enough to uncover and dig up enough of what's really going on, of the real thought processes, of the real conversation in order for you to get to the point where you've discovered what needs to be done. Clarity is had. You're able to see things differently. And from there, in terms of implementation and execution, this smart, talented, happy person that believes that I believe in them and believes that I have their best interest at heart is capable of taking it the rest of the way. And that is leadership to me. Where I'm at with my career, I'm still early, but with where I'm at with my career, that is leadership to me. Vetting people on the front side to make sure that they're motivated, they're interested. This is a right, this is the right fit and home for them in terms of the possibilities that it's going to open up that they want independent of me. Everybody that comes to you as an employer, they have their own life track, interests, wants, and desires. If circumstantially that happens to line up with where my company is headed, that's step one. Step two, they're actually in the company. They're in the organization. I've done the work to commit to where the company is heading. It creates and provides room for them. There's, there's growth trajectory. And now we're talking. Now we're in the dialogue. Now we're in that ongoing management conversation. And if we're able to condition to self-solve and to condition around having an open-ended conversation. And if I can condition myself as a leader to get off of the belief that I have the right answers and to get into the idea that not having the answers actually is the answer, to be patient enough to wade into a conversation where I could be wrong, to be patient enough to change my mind, to be patient enough to assume that I don't know what's going on with this person. And maybe that what I'm being told is not actually the real show. To quiet my own inner voice that wants to jump past the possibility that I don't know, that I don't have the answer, and that I'm not going to find it, and to just sit in that moment of open-ended inquiry, that's the future for me. That's what I'm committed to. And that's what I'm committed to coming back to. I'm going to re-listen to this podcast myself because as soon as this is done, I'm going to get on a sales training meeting. I'm going to, I, uh, I have level 10s all day today and I guarantee that at some point I'm going to violate this rule. But at least I'm clear on what I'm committing to and the ideal. And by having it come out of my mouth on this podcast, at some point in time, somebody's going to put it back in my face. And I'm asking for that. I hope you can commit to the same. I hope you got some value out of this. I hope that you're in a place where this meant something to you and that you're able to commit to that higher act of leadership because leadership is where the game is at, guys. It's all leadership. Going to the conferences, the events, reading the books, around the hack, tick, tip, and trick to get things done. I don't want business to be transactional. It's never transactional. It's always personal. And leadership is the foundation of fulfillment that has driven every good thing that's ever come from a commercial relationship and endeavor. Hope you guys have a great week. Talk soon. Hey, closers. I hope you enjoyed that podcast. I wanted to wrap up with one last recommendation. Reading a book right now called Team of Teams, New Rules of Engagement for a Complex World. The book is authored by U.S. Army 
retired General Stanley McChrystal. And it is a banger. It's all about the need for a new perspective on teams and the specific application of a switch in perspective on how teams ought to be structured based on the difference between things, between complexity and things being complicated. Uh, It felt apropos. I'm about halfway through the book. Highly recommend it. Check it out.